0: The views and opinions expressed during this program do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cox Media Group, Ohio. This hour is sponsored by There is a Season.
1: I'm Storm Center 7 meteorologist Kirsty Zantini. We're watching the radar right now. If weather breaks, we break in immediately. You're on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk.
0: And I'm Dayton's consumer warrior, Clark Howard. You're listening to an Ask the Expert Weekend a season
1: turn turned, and time to purpose Well, hello there, and welcome to There is a Season, the Bob and Gloria Show, and the show that's all about how we change, how we age, and how we care for one another. I'm Bob Wolf. Gloria is away today, but will be back very shortly. This is the place where we talk about the seasons of your life and strive to provide better understanding and insight in matters of health, caregiving, relationships, lifestyle changes, and more. Every season of your life comes with its own challenges, and we talk about them all here and try to give you resources, insights, and inspiration to plan for a fulfilling future for yourself and for your loved ones. Now, you can enjoy and share a podcast of this program through our website, thereisaseasonshow.com. That's thereisaseasonshow.com. I know it's a lot of letters, as well as on iTunes, Google Play, and the TuneIn app, and many other platforms. Just look for There is a Season and Today's Date. And of course, we'd love to hear your feedback about this and any other There is a Season program. So if you would, just drop us a note at Bob and Gloria at thereisaseasonshow.com. Or when you visit the site and you're checking out our podcast, just fill out the handy form under the In Touch tab. Our phone number in the studio today is 457-1290. That's 937-457-1290. From anywhere you're listening, we'd love to hear from you. You know, when Gloria and I are out at a public event, or uh, even when we're talking to family and friends and acquaintances, inevitably people ask what our show is about. Of course, I just rattle off some of the things we talk about. And we've got a nice slogan or tagline about how we change and age and care and all that. Uh, But naturally, people want us to go deeper. And so we do, describing particular kinds of shows, calls we've had from listeners, comments you've made about the program over the years, and so forth. You've given us the latitude to speak about a great many things on this program. And we thank you for that. Now, as you may have noticed from our website or from past descriptions of the categories, or as I like to call them, buckets of content we discuss, one of the most important topics we cover on There is a Season is relationships. We know that they are absolutely at the center of our lives and that good relationships are built on love and trust and understanding and care and patience and humor and a thousand other things. They also rely, critically so, on communication verbal and nonverbal. And that got us thinking again about various care situations, and particularly the care you try to provide someone with dementia. That dementia, of course, can come from many things. But you've heard us talk extensively on this program about Alzheimer's, various, uh, various topics, which I'll, I'll list here in a moment. And one of the resources we've touted again and again over the years is a book by a lady named Joanna Koenig Kosti. It's called Learning to Speak Alzheimer's. There are many reasons we have recommended this book in the past, one of them simply being that it almost reads like a kind of like a friendly how-to, almost like a manual regarding so many areas of care, uh, things that you can pick up just by going through the chapters. Maybe you didn't see it the first time, you see it again a second time, and you ponder it, and you think, you know, I could probably do that instead. Or uh, you come to some understanding about how by making little adjustments here and there in terms of your expectations and your viewpoint, you can make things less stressful for people uh, on both sides of that equation. So we've recommended this, uh, Learning to Speak Alzheimer's, many times. It talks about relationships, but it's not just written about someone with pro- you know, who's got progressive uh, or progressing Alzheimer's. It's written for family members and caregivers in mind. Now, today, I'd like to share a bit from that book, especially about the topic of communication, and especially with someone who's experiencing cognitive decline. Many of us have been there, experiencing how relationships have changed and communication has become strained. Sometimes it's even fruitless, or it feels like it's fruitless, because of the difficulties Alzheimer's sufferers typically have with language and with processing but also because of the difficulties those without Alzheimer's have with expectation. We do so much in our culture with words or around words. We talk, 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 most of us. This is a talk radio show on a talk radio station, right? And we expect to be understood. I don't need to tell you how many times that breaks down in the normal course of life with a spouse or a teen or your boss, or whomever. But as Costi points out in her book, our expectation regarding language, regarding all communication really, is what needs to change, especially if we want to lower stress and frustration for ourselves and for our loved ones. So today, you know, I'm going to share a little bit about what she says here in this book, but you, you can apply little bits of it to all kinds of relationships. Um, at its at its uh, most valuable, I suppose it does does specifically speak to the relationships you have with someone who's got Alzheimer's or con- you know considerable cognitive decline. But there are things to glean from this for just about any relationship. Now, uh, before I do a deeper dive into what the author has to say about communication and other uh, parts of the book, let me again suggest that if you have something to share regarding communication with a loved one with Alzheimer's or some other form of cognitive decline, please don't hesitate to get in touch today. I'd love to hear from you. I'll repeat that number in just a moment. The other thing I'd like to do before talking more about communication again is to give you a sense, a general sense of how learning to speak Alzheimer's is set up. Part one of the book is called Learning About Alzheimer's. In this section, you can read about many of the topics we've covered on this show. Things like warning signs, stages of the disease, risk factors, diagnosis, treatment, and so forth. It's a really good primer if you'd just like to get get your arms wrapped around this, and especially if this is something fairly new to you and your family, or uh, you've, you've suspected something's going on and you'd like to get a better understanding of what, what people really mean when they talk about Alzheimer's or some other form of dementia. There's so many things that start to uh, click in your brain and you, and you, you have, have all these questions. So part one is a great way to do that. And you can also, of course, uh, sort of correlate a lot of what she talks about in the book with what the Alzheimer's Association uh, has included within their website and so forth. And, and again, things we've talked about in many podcasts on, on previous shows in this, uh, in this program, warning signs, again, stages of the disease, risk factors, diagnosis, and so forth. Part two is what Gloria and I really consider the heart of the book learning to speak Alzheimer's and this is this this whole area discusses the concept and approach of something called habilitation what is habilitation well it's almost easier to tell you what it's not habilitation is not reality or important clarification how you might see reality or what might be called your reality orientation You've seen this before in so many other situations where you're trying to describe something to someone else or arguing the supposed facts of a situation with someone. You know, I could even slide in something here about men are from Mars, women are from Venus, and so forth. You know, And you're, and you're somewhat amazed or aghast that the other person just can't get it. They don't understand. Now think about how many times that's happened with an older person, you know. And I'm not talking about simply a knowledge of technology or new things. I'm not talking about how you might have the skinny on this or that more modern thing uh, that has not made an impression or is simply not understood by a senior. And alternately, it also works the other way, where us older folks and folks older than myself simply do not understand these younger folks, right? There's always those uh, differences. in understanding between generations, between the sexes, uh, between the city folk and those in the country, between the red states and the blue states. You get my idea. There's always going to be differences in terms of our knowledge. No, the, the idea of habilitation with regard to learning to speak Alzheimer's is to realize essentially that if you're a caregiver or a family member, your so-called reality, well, it doesn't really matter the person with alzheimer's has a new and changing reality different from the reality he or she used to know or used to share with you there was a common reality common references a whole lifetime perhaps a body of a body of shared knowledge especially between spouses right who always interacted a certain way or at least knew something about how each other acted the reality that matters here the reality of the person with the Alzheimer's habilitation according to the book teaches that caregivers and Joanna Costi calls them care partners need to place themselves in the patient's world no matter where that world is no matter what that reality is and that reality might show patterns might or it might be different every time you see that person no matter what the reality is, it can change. This means that attempting to reason or argue with someone who has lost the power to reason or has lost the way or lost the memory of the way you used to interact is, is you know absolutely fruitless. It's going to guarantee confrontation. It's going to guarantee frustration. The new reality is really what matters. So to begin to grasp the idea of habilitation and develop habits for helping you shift from your world to the Alzheimer's world is really what's key. That's the essential part of it, particularly in early to mid stages of Alzheimer's. Something really to ponder. There's an awful lot of frustration, an understandable frustration that caregivers go through in the course of caring for someone, or care partners, again, to use Costi's term, in caring for someone who's in some form of cognitive decline language starts to go, references, and so forth, and you feel like you've got a new person you're dealing with. Well, in many ways, the person's the same, but the reality in that person's mind has changed. And that's the challenge primarily for you. Hey, as you've uh, heard right here in this program, Medicare Planning of Dayton is the region's resource center for all things Medicare. You know, you can contact the team at Medicare Planning of Dayton for a no cost to you consultation. Not kidding there. That's for real. There is no cost involved. You just call them up. They've got the experience. They've got the right approach. You've heard them here on this program. They will listen to you and your needs and help you identify the right Medicare plan for you. And it starts with a call to this easy number 504 9999. That's 504 9999. Or you can find them online at Medicare Planning of Dayton. Dot com And please tell them that Bob and Gloria sent you. We've got more to come, where you're going to be able to find this book from Joanna Koenig-Costi, plus some other information coming your way. We're going to talk more about habilitation when we come back. There are elements within that she calls tenets, plus a lot more, and specifically about communication with someone who's got Alzheimer's. All of that is ahead. You're listening to There is a Season on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk.
0: The Miami Valley's only radio station for 24-hour breaking news, weather and traffic, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk.
1: Welcome back to There is a Season. I'm Bob Wolf. Gloria is away, but sends her best to you. 457-1290 if you'd like to share your thoughts or have a question or comment today. We're talking about learning to speak Alzheimer's on today's program based on the book by the same title and by author Joanna Koenig-Costi. I should note a couple of things. One is that there very well may be items within this text, as I said earlier, that may be applicable to relationships with people who have not formally been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. We can learn a lot from understanding another's reality beyond our own, no matter how different it is. The second thing I forgot to mention was that the structure of the book really has three main sections. I mentioned two, learning about Alzheimer's, that's the first one, the five tenets of habilitation, which we'll discuss here in a moment, and the section called Beyond Habilitation, which gets into caring for the caregiver or care partner and a lot of other care topics. So that's, that's all there, and I'll tell you where you can uh, get a copy of this book in a moment. Now then, the five tenets of habilitation, right? We're not looking to just add needless uh, jargon and so forth to your understanding of Alzheimer's. But as you get into this, you start to understand uh, there are certain principles, certain things that once you start to uh, identify or cross over, is what I usually like to say, uh, there are things that that you can begin to unbundle, uh, unpack, and say, hey, you know, I can make this a little bit easier. I've been banging my head on the wall about this topic or going through this difficult thing. And so within this section of habilitation, uh, Costi breaks things down. Now, remember, the whole approach of uh, habilitation is, as I said, crossing over into the reality of the other person, the person with Alzheimer's or with other serious cognitive decline. These are uh, tenets that are designed to help you as much as that person uh, who's got these difficulties. The idea here is to put extra time up front to ease frustration for you both. You'd like to still be able to enjoy some element of the relationship, even if many things have changed. Now, the five tenets uh, line up this way. Uh, One is that you want to make the physical environment work for you. If you haven't given this much thought, um, you certainly want to be able to get into this fairly soon. This involves all kinds of things. It involves lighting, it involves furniture, maneuverability, safety, of course, so all of those things are, are to be considered, and it really, it, it, it comprises whether or not someone is still living in their own home or they've gone into some other residential environment. Now, it might be that the latter has given some additional thought to elements of safety and so forth, but if there are things that you can do that make the, the environment work, and she gets into a lot of detail here about not having dark areas or confusing areas within an environment, um, making sure that... Uh, the, the appropriate doors and windows are locked, making sure that certain pictures that are on the, on the wall are friendly and inspiring rather than causing some kind of anxiety or, or fear. Uh, you want to be able to go through your environment here and say, what can I do to make this physical environment work for myself to make things easier for me to care for this person, but also to make it not threatening non-stressful for the person who's got Alzheimer's? So tenet number one is to make the physical environment work, and you can read a ton in that. Uh, That's helpful. The second tenet is to know that communication remains possible, and I'm not going to get into that now. That's going to be the second part of the show. We're going to talk a lot about how to communicate with someone, um, how to cross over into their world and their ability to communicate, or their diminished ability to communicate the way they used to. Tenet number three is to focus on remaining skills, and this is everything from walking, to bathing, to eating, to sleeping. There's all kinds of things that are still uh, going to go on with someone who's got cognitive decline, but it may change a little bit. And rather than throwing your hair up, hands up in despair, uh, Joanna Costi encourages you to understand that you can focus on the remaining skills, not the loss of other skills but on the skills that remain and what you can still make of those. Tenet number four is to live in the patient's world. Really, the core of habilitation is to live in the patient's world, but also to understand that there will be behavioral changes. There are going to be things that are significantly different, and it helps you get through how to anticipate those or how to deal with some of the surprises that occur when there are changes in the person with Alzheimer's. And tenant number five is something that a lot of people don't always get to. And it's something we talked about when we uh, covered the book, I'm trying to remember here, oh, in the last years of his mind, uh, the book by uh, John Thorndike, about the last year he was able to spend with his father, a towering figure in his life, uh, and how he was able to focus some of the energy not just on care issues, which seems to suck up all the energy a lot of times, but on enriching that person's life and looking for enrichment within the relationship. So those are the five tenets there. Making the physical environment work, knowing communication remains possible, focus on remaining skills, living in the patient's world, and enriching the patient's life. It's a lot to think about, but let's drill down even deeper into one of these sections when we come back. And that is the idea that communication is still possible. What do we mean by communication? How do we begin to understand new words or sounds that have meaning compared to what we've known before and where do we go when the words don't work anymore we'll talk about learning to speak alzheimer's more when we come back 457-1290 to join the conversation today you're listening to there is a season on 1290 and 957, 7 whio dayton's news and talk back to There is a Season with Bob and Gloria, the show about how we change, how we age, and how we care for one another. I'm Bob Wolf. Gloria is away. She'll be back next time. Uh, in the meantime, I've got you and you've got me. Wasn't there a Sonny and Cher song kind of like that? I got you, babe. I will not sing it for you this morning. Let's mo- mace the, make the most of the morning if we can. Four, five, seven, twelve, ninety. If you have uh, something you'd like to contribute to today's program, especially something along the lines of how to communicate with someone who's got... Uh, Alzheimer's or serious cognitive decline of another kind. Four five seven twelve ninety, or drop us a note anytime at Bob and Gloria at thereisaseasonshow.com. Now, I just got uh, through in the last segment talking about these five tenets of habilitation. Not meant to be dry stuff, it's really meant to be how to, hands on stuff uh, that you can use to, as a, as a caregiver, as a care partner, to make things better in the environment. Uh, where you're with a loved one or someone you're caring for. Number one was making the physical environment to uh, work. Excuse me, make the physical environment work. Number two was knowing that communication remains possible. I'm going to talk more about that in just a moment. Number three, focus on remaining skills rather than those in decline. Number four, live in the patient's world and understand that there will be behavioral changes. And number five, look for ways to enrich a patient's life and very possibly your own. Those are the five tenets that she includes within habilitation. Now then, let's talk about the heart of this, the communication piece, which I started the program with when you talk about some of the things that are most frustrating in caring for someone. It's, it's that you can't get those uh, typical everyday uh, things accomplished quite the way you used to, whether it's sharing news, whether it's having back and forth conversation, Uh, whether it's uh, trying to offer instruction, whether it's trying to solve a problem. Uh, A lot of us have been there where where you start having difficulty because words have started to lose their meaning. Uh, One of the common things that I've seen in this field is that um, a lot of times nouns go out the window, particularly uh, someone's name. Uh, So a lot of times you get a lot of Uh, pronoun substitutions, he, she, and it, when someone can't remember the name of somebody or name of somebody you see on TV. Uh, Sometimes the naming of a particular thing in the kitchen or in the living room can lose its its meaning, right? So you start to see some changes in vocabulary, but also in processing, the ability to digest information through verbal uh, means. So in the second tenet in this area, uh, Joanna Costi talks about how you can still find ways to communicate, but understand the language is different. She begins by saying, Remember that emotions behind failing words are far more important than the words themselves, and it is the emotions that need to be validated. Although many losses occur with Alzheimer's, assume that a patient can still register feelings that matter. I've seen this firsthand. Here's an example. Shut Stacy screamed at her husband with her hands held tightly over her ears, "Shut! Shut! Shut!" Russell had no idea what he had done to elicit this angry response from his usually soft-spoken wife. He crossed the room to where she was standing and gently enfolded her in his arms, letting her sob gently against his chest. It seemed like such a short time ago that Stacy had gone from having difficulty finding words to making up words to struggling much of to say much of anything. I've been talking too much, haven't I, Stacy? You want me just to shut up, and I don't blame you. Her husband understood that she was struggling, and as her comprehension declined, that the inability to communicate was becoming unbearable. Angrily placing her hands over her ears and yelling, shut, was her way of letting Russell know that she was overwhelmed by his talking. Even though words failed her, her emotion came through loud and clear. Difficulties with language often cause emotional outbursts such as Stacey's. We must always look for human emotions and qualities that are being repressed but are ready to burst free when the afflicted person wants to make a statement. Imagine the anguish of having your ability to talk with loved ones, chat with friends, and exchange greetings with strangers slowly taken away from you. Imagine the frustration of thinking you are saying something clearly and then realizing that the person you're addressing does not understand a single word coming out of your mouth. Imagine, too, listening to someone speaking to you and not being sure what language she is using. This is the reality of life for people with Alzheimer's. In the early stage of the disease, speech problems range from occasional word finding difficulties to a profound loss of language. Then the ability to process and store information declines. Clinicians agree that in the middle stage of verbal casserole, or I've I've heard it described as a verbal tossed salad, becomes (laughs) common, with disconnected thoughts spoken aloud and invented words and sounds replacing real ones. In the final stage of the disease, speech all but disappears. Throughout the process, the emotional toll on both the patient and the care partner is enormous. Reading and writing abilities also change for a lot of people. Following a storyline becomes impossible. With diminishing attention, memory, and comprehension, and declining ability to think logically, understand metaphors and idioms, and making one's needs known, many people with progressive dementia become silent. They do not wish to make verbal errors, and they're frustrated knowing what they want to say, but they're unable to say it. They become agitated when we do not take the time to figure out the message or when they see negativity or hopelessness in our eyes. Does any of this resonate? Have you been here? Often someone with Alzheimer's will misuse, bastardize, or alter familiar words altogether. Get to know the patterns and be sure to explain why important words to other care partners, excuse me, to explain any important care words to other care partners who are watching this person with Alzheimer's, even if only temporarily. Can you imagine that? You know, you're in the position of being the primary care person and someone else gives you a little respite care, covers for a few minutes, and they have to learn a new language, right? It's almost like the person could be speaking Russian. That's not a condescending thing, it's just a reality that language, again, is not as reliable as it once was. As she says in the book here, my husband, for example, used the word smish for sandwich. After a while, smish meant food. And he would say smish whenever he was hungry. Remember that in the person with Alzheimer's, the way the brain processes outside stimuli physically changes also. Although you are clearly saying, for example, I bought some lamb chops. Would you like one for dinner? He may be hearing wooden lamps are dimmer. And wonder why you are repeating yourself and seem to be waiting for a reply. If the person doesn't seem to understand you, break down your sentences into less complex patterns, establish eye contact when possible, and use simple short statements to alleviate stress related to failing communication. And I will throw in here, not a shortened form of what you just said, because sometimes that can sound like you're simply irked, (laughs) you know, Uh, turn on the lamp, turn it on lamp! You know, that that can really come across with a lot of negativity, and you've not gained anything in terms of the communication. Remember that processing language will take longer than before and give a person time to think. At some point, the processing mechanism may fail completely. The patient just won't understand what's said. To further complicate matters, when a person with Alzheimer's is word-searching or using clearly incorrect words, he or she may still be able to understand spoken language. So, one person can understand it, but they can't use it. Similarly, a patient who is speaking fairly well may have great difficulty comprehending what is being said. The upshot is that you should always assume that the person understands language as an include, and, and that you include this person in any dialogue. Even if she appears uninterested or bored or speaks out at an inappropriate time or is not speaking logically or is off-topic, continue to show her that she is valued and is still a part of a social or family life. A chief complaint of early-stage patients is not being included in conversations. People with Alzheimer's often complain that others ignore them in conversations, intentionally or unintentionally. Outsiders who do not include the person in conversation often assume that it is no longer worth talking to the patient or the person with Alzheimer's. This problem may begin when the doctor gives the initial diagnosis. She cites a story here. She says, a couple I know were with their doctor going over the husband's test results for Alzheimer's. The doctor looked up and said, well, Christina, I think you need to take Jason, your husband, on that vacation you've both been waiting for. There's a possibility you won't be able to travel too much longer. I'm sorry to say it, but it looks like Jason has dementia of the Alzheimer's type. And at this juncture, Jason stood up banged his fist on the doctor's desk, and said, Damn it all! Am I invisible? This is my disease you're talking about. I'm still here. Talk to me. Me. Well, the doctor apologized, looked directly into Jason's face, and told him, Your diagnosis is most probably Alzheimer's disease. Most of the tests point in that direction. Let's do another scan in six months and compare it with the one you took last week. Does that sound logical? And Jason said, Yes. Thank you for telling me. Communication difficulties may begin at the same time as other problems, making the situation even more difficult. For the person experiencing cognitive decline, the slow loss of coherent speech will be compounded by a declining ability to draw conclusions. We're reading here from um, the second tenet um, in the book, Learning to Speak Alzheimer's, by Joanna Koenig-Kosti. And this, uh, this tenet talks about how, Communication is still possible, but you've got to be able to change the tools, change the means. She goes on with another example. It is so cold, Nancy said, gazing out the window, and it's raining so hard outside. At that point, her husband, Douglas, who had Alzheimer's, nodded at her, roused himself from the chair where he'd been sitting for the past few hours, and proceeded out the front door without putting on any kind of rain gear. For Douglas, the cause and effect thinking that the rest of us practice subconsciously every day no longer existed. The last word he heard Nancy utter was outside. So he followed that verbal cue with no thought of protecting himself from the elements. Remember, she said, and it's raining so hard outside. Many care partners tell me, this is tell Costi, that the last word connection uh, sometimes is a liability, but can it also become... Uh, an advantage. They relate that this technique actually can help a person with Alzheimer's feel in control of decision-making, and here's how it works. A care partner may ask, would you like to wear this green shirt today or that blue one? Nine times out of ten, the patient says blue simply because that's the last word he remembered hearing. If you ask, for lunch today, do you want a tuna fish sandwich or cheese? The response will be cheese. The wonderfully habilitative part of this technique is that the afflicted person who is prone to feelings of failure or defeat, especially around language and processing, now feels able to make choices. It doesn't matter whether they choose cheese, you know, 28 times in a row. It, it doesn't really matter. It really doesn't matter so much about the uh, relative nutritive value of cheese versus tuna, or any number of other things that the care partner might infuse into the situation. What matters is giving that person some semblance of choice and allowing them to be successful using language. That's the key to habilitative thought. She goes on in the book to talk about communication beyond words. Uh, She says, when visiting an Alzheimer's unit in a long-term care facility, I frequently came across small groups or pairs of people relating to each other as dear old friends. They appear to be reliving more youthful times and laughing together as they share stories of the past. Upon closer inspection, I sometimes find that each person is speaking a different language, perhaps the foreign language he or she grew up with. Yet even with no words in common, the emotional communication is taking place. Alzheimer's patients focus on a speaker's eyes and determine meaning through tone and gestures, much the way we can watch television without the sound on and still understand the plot. In the same way, if your boss has ever instructed you to come into her office and then has proceeded to take a phone call, you don't need any words to tell you how she really feels about you. Everyone uses gestures and pictures, tone and voice pitch, facial expressions and body movements to convey messages to friends, colleagues, family and strangers. Body language seems honest and reliable. Compared with words, people with Alzheimer's and trying to compensate for their cognitive and sensory losses pay more attention to this nonverbal communication and become quite adept at understanding it. In some ways, that kind of mirrors what you've heard about people who lose some other faculty, whether it's hearing or sight or some other thing, another part of their sensory system will grow. And it's not unlike what goes on here in the case of somebody who's got Alzheimer's. So I'm reading here from the book Learning to Speak Alzheimer's by Joanna Kane and costi I'm going to give you some information um, about where you can get this book, uh, plus some other titles regarding Alzheimer's that we've talked about on the program before. We'll also give you a sneak peek at what's coming up here on There is a Season in the next several weeks. So I'd like you to stick around for that. You're listening to There is a Season on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk.
0: When the Miami Valley gets hit with breaking news, severe weather, or traffic tie-ups, depend on us for up-to-the-minute information, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk.
1: Welcome back to There is a Season. I'm Bob. Gloria is away, but she will be back soon. Some great programs coming your way from uh, There is a Season. Why most Americans don't have enough in their retirement And some steps you can take to change that now. We're going to get down into the nitty-gritty, not so much about mutual funds and all that. There's plenty of other programs for that, but just some real basics about uh, taking care of cost and putting some money in the bank. Also, is there a a cold civil war going on in our country? Is there a cold civil war? That's hard to say. Are people lining up and taking sides? And we'll get into that very soon on this program. Plus, there's all kinds of apps on your kids' phones. What do they do? Do you even know? Do you have any idea what's on there? We've been talking about learning to speak Alzheimer's and uh, covering the book by Joanna Costi, which you can find out at Amazon in all forms of, uh, you know, there's there's the Audible version, the Kindle version, the hard copy, the paperback. They're all out there, about 10 bucks or less. Uh, I think there's a newer version that costs a little bit more. There's also some other books that you can look up, The 36-Hour Day, also The Last of His Mind, uh, and creating... Um, uh, what's it called here? Creating Moments of Joy. So all of those are resources you can look out there. I'd like to welcome Dave to the program. He's been waiting patiently, had a few things to offer us today. Welcome to There's a Season, Dave. Hi. How are you doing?
2: Okay. Uh, I just wanted to mention that um, you haven't been talking about too much about adult children as caregivers. And uh, in my experience over the past 20 years uh, in home health and home health hospice. um I see an enthusiasm with the adult children as far as um, trying to do their best as far as the patient and help them along. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times there's um, uh, situations where there's continual correcting that I see uh, as far as uh, interaction uh, in regards to memory. Uh, It's like, oh no dad, we used to live in that house, but we haven't lived there in 10 years.
0: Yeah. And I, yeah.
2: And I noticed the affect, uh, the nonverbal uh, response from the uh, uh, Alzheimer's patients. There's a great deal of embarrassment with this constant correction that's going on.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And I try to uh, uh, tell the adult children, you know, you're seeing mom or dad or whoever the patient is uh, basically as a shell. you got to reinforce to yourself that that um, person that you're seeing is not the person that you knew and that this correction uh, that you're trying to help them with uh, is uh, basically embarrassing to them
0: mm-hmm. and yeah.
2: especially when in front of other people uh, The uh, there's always that uh, enthusiasm to try to uh, have the uh, patient uh, or the family member that has Alzheimer's, the adult children are trying to help as much as they possibly can uh, and be as helpful as possible, but they need to reinforce with themselves that it's a declining situation.
1: Yeah, Dave, and that's I'm going to have to leave it there. It's a good, it's a good point you make, uh, and I appreciate you calling in here. You, you, you really put a good cap on this here. The change is for the caregiver more than it is for the person who's got the cognitive decline going on. It's almost like, you know, when you have a newborn baby, right? You are able to communicate with that baby, and it's not so much about words. You might get excited about the first word, but it's not all built around language. There's other ways of communicating and bridging that gap. And I think that's a point to keep in mind when you're in, care, in a position of caring for somebody who's got cognitive decline. So that puts a cap on it for today. Be sure to check out the website, give your feedback about this podcast or this show and others. They're organized by date into several key categories and so forth. That'll do it for us today. Remember, dear friend, seek grace in every step and never regret going older. It is a privilege denied to many. We're here for each other and here for you. For my dear friend and co-host Gloria Shanahan, our producer, and everyone who makes the show possible, thank you for your time, attention, and interest into what we do here. We'll see you again soon. You've been listening to There is a Season on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO. Dayton's news and talk. Have a blessed week.
0: From our downtown Dayton McAfee Heating and Air Studios, WHIO AM Dayton, WHIO FM Pleasant Hill, a Cox Media Group station.